This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Man Alive by G. K. Chesterton Section 24 Part 2 The Explanations of Innocent Smith Chapter 4 The Wild Weddings or The Polygamy Charge Part 1 A modern man, said Dr. Cyrus Pym, must, if he be thoughtful, approach the problem of marriage with some caution. Marriage is a stage, doubtless a suitable stage, in the long advance of mankind toward a goal which we cannot as yet conceive, which we are not perhaps as yet fitted even to desire. What, gentlemen, is the ethical position of marriage? Have we outlived it? Outlived it? broke out Moon. Why, nobody's ever survived it. Look at all the people married since Adam and Eve, and all as dead as mutton. This is no doubt an interpolation jocular in his character, said Dr. Pym, frigidly. I cannot tell what may be Mr. Moon's mature and ethical view of marriage. I can tell, said Michael savagely, out of the gloom. Marriage is a duel to the death which no man of honour should decline. Michael, said Arthur Inglewood in a low voice, you must keep quiet. Mr. Moon, said Pym, with exquisite good temper, probably regards the institution in a more antiquated manner. Probably he would make it stringent and uniform. He would treat divorce in some great soul of steel, the divorce of a Julius Caesar or of a salt-ring Robinson, exactly as he would treat some no-account tramp or laborer who scoots from his wife. Science has views broader and more humane. Just as murder for the scientist is a thirst for absolute destruction, just as theft for the scientist is a hunger for monotonous acquisition, so polygamy for the scientist is an extreme development of the instinct for variety. A man thus afflicted is incapable of constancy. Doubtless there is a physical cause for this flitting from flower to flower, as there is doubtless for the intermittent groaning which appears to afflict Mr. Moon at the present moment. Our own world, scorning Winterbottom, has even dared to say, for a certain rare and fine physical type, polygamy is but the realization of the variety of females, as comradeship is the realization of the variety of males. In any case, the type that tends to variety is recognized by all authoritative inquirers. Such a type, if the widow of a negress, does in many ascertained cases espouse and second gnosis, an albino. Such a type, when freed from the gigantic embraces of a female Pantagonian, will often evolve from its own imaginative instinct the consoling figure of an Eskimo. To such a type there can be no doubt that the prisoner belongs. If blind doom and unbearable temptation constitute any slight excuse for a man, there is no doubt that he has these excuses. Earlier in the inquiry the defense showed real chivalric ideality in admitting half our story without further dispute. We should like to acknowledge and imitate so eminently large-hearted a style by conceding also that the story told by Curate Piercy about the canoe, the weir, and the young wife seems to be substantially true. Apparently Smith did marry a young woman he had nearly run down in a boat. It only remains to be considered whether it would not have been kinder of him to have murdered her instead of marrying her. In confirmation of this fact, I can now concede to the defense an unquestionable record of such a marriage. So saying, he handed across to Michael a cutting from the Maidenhead Gazette, 
which distinctly recorded the marriage of the daughter of a coach, a tutor well known in the place to Mr. Innocent Smith, late of Breakspear College, Cambridge. When Dr. Pym resumed, it was realized that his face had grown at once both tragic and triumphant. I pause upon this preliminary fact, he said seriously, because this fact alone would give us the victory, were we aspiring after victory and not after truth. As far as the personal and domestic problem holds us, that problem is solved. Dr. Warner and I entered this house at an instant of highly emotional difficulty. England's Warner has entered many houses to save humankind from sickness. This time he entered to save an innocent lady from walking pestilence. Smith was just about to carry away a young girl from this house. His cab and bag were at the very door. He had told her she was going to await the marriage license at the house of his aunt. That aunt, continued Cyrus Pym, his face darkening grandly, that visionary aunt, had been the dancing will-o'-the-wisp who had led many a high-souled maiden to her doom. Into how many virginal ears has he whispered that holy word when he said, Aunt, there glowed about her all the merriment and high morality of the Anglo-Saxon home. Kettles began to hum, pussy-cats to purr, in that very wild cab that was being driven to destruction. Inglewood looked up to find, to his astonishment, as many another denizen of the Eastern Hemisphere has found, that the American was not only perfectly serious, but was really eloquent and affecting, when the difference of the hemispheres was adjusted. It is therefore atrociously evident that the man Smith has at least represented himself to one innocent female of this house as an eligible bachelor, being, in fact, a married man. I agree with my colleague, Mr. Gould, that no other crime could approximate to this, as to whether what our ancestors called purity has any ultimate ethical value indeed, science hesitates with a high, proud hesitation. But what hesitation can there be about the baseness of a citizen who ventures by brutal experiments upon living females to anticipate the verdict of science on such a point? The woman mentioned by Curate Peary as living with Smith and Highbury may or may not be the same as the lady he married in Maidenhead. If one short, sweet spell of constancy and heart-repose interrupted the plunging toward of his profligate life, we will not deprive him of that long-past possibility. After that conjectural date, alas, he seems to have plunged deeper and deeper into the shaking quagmires of infidelity and shame. Dr. Pym closed his eyes, but the unfortunate fact that there was no more light left this familiar signal without its full and proper moral effect. After a pause, which almost partook of the character of prayer, he continued. The first instance of the accused repeated in irregular nuptials, he exclaimed, comes from Lady Bullingdon, who expressed herself with high haughtiness, which must be excused in those who look out upon all mankind from the turrets of a Norman and ancestral keep. The communication she has sent us runs as follows. Lady Bullingdon recalls the painful incident to which reference is made, and has no desire to deal with it in detail. The girl, Polly Green, was perfectly adequate dressmaker, and lived in the village for about two years. Her unattached condition was bad for her as well as for the general morality of the village. Lady Bullingdon, therefore, allowed it to be understood that she favoured the marriage of the young woman. The villagers, naturally wishing to oblige Lady Bullingdon, came forward in several cases, and all would have been well, had it not been for the deplorable eccentricity or depravity of the girl Green herself. Lady Bullington supposes that where there is a village there must be a village idiot, and in her village it seems there was one of these wretched creatures. Lady Bullington not only saw him once, 
she is quite aware that it is really difficult to distinguish between actual idiots and the ordinary heavy type of the rural lower classes. She noticed, however, the startling smallness of his head in comparison to the rest of his body, and indeed the fact of his having appeared upon election day wearing the rosette of both the two opposing parties appeared to Lady Bullington to put the matter quite beyond doubt. Lady Bullingdon was astounded to learn that this afflicted being had put himself forward as one of the suitors of the girl in question. Lady Bullingdon's nephew interviewed the wretch upon the point, telling him that he was a donkey to dream of such things, and actually received, along with an imbecile grin, the answer that donkeys generally go after carrots. But Lady Bullingdon was yet further amazed to find the unhappy girl inclined to accept this monstrous proposal, though she was actually asked in marriage by Garth, the undertaker, a man in a far superior position to her own. Lady Bullington could not, of course, countenance such an arrangement for a moment, and the two unhappy persons escaped for a clandestine marriage. Lady Bullington cannot exactly recall the man's name, but thinks it was Smith. He was always called in the village the innocent. Later, Lady Bullington believes he murdered Green in a mental outbreak. The next communication, proceeded Pym, is more conspicuous for brevity, but I am of the opinion that it will adequately convey the upshot. It is dated from the offices of Messrs. Hanbury and Boodle, publishers, and it is as follows. Sir, yours received, and contents noted. Rumor re typewriter possibly refers to a Miss Blake or similar name, left here nine years ago to marry an organ grinder. Case was undoubtedly curious and attracted police attention. Go worked excellently till about October 1907, when apparently went mad. Record was written at the time, part of which I enclose. Yours, etc., W. Tripp. The fuller statement runs as follows. On October 12th, a letter was sent from this office to Messrs. Bernard and Juke Bookbinders. Opened by Mr. Juke, it was found to contain the following. Sir, our trip will call at three, as we wish to know whether it is really decided. Gibberish. To this Mr. Juke, a person of a playful mind, returned the answer, Sir, I am in a position to give it as my most decided opinion that it is not really decided that gibberish. Yours, etc., J. Juke. On receiving this extraordinary reply, our Mr. Tripp asked for the original letter sent from him, and found that the typewriter had indeed substituted these demented hieroglyphics for the sentences really dictated to her. Our Mr. Tripp interviewed the girl, fearing that she was in an unbalanced state, and was not much reassured when she merely remarked that she always went like that when she heard the barrel organ. Becoming yet more hysterical and extravagant, she made a series of most improbable statements, as that she was engaged to the barrel-organ man, that he was in the habit of serenading her on that instrument, and that she was in the habit of playing back to him upon the typewriter, in the style of King Richard and Blondell, and that the organ-man's musical ear was so exquisite and his adoration of herself so ardent that he could detect the note of the different letters on the machine, and was enraptured by them as by a melody. To all these statements, of course, our Mr. Tripp and the rest of us only paid that sort of assent that is paid to those persons who must, as quickly as possible, be put in the charge of their relations. But on our conducting the lady downstairs, her story received the most startling, and even exasperating, confirmation. For the organ-grinder, an enormous man with a small head and a manifestly a fellow lunatic, had pushed his barrel-organ in at the office doors like a battering-ram, and was boisterously demanding his alleged fiancée. 
when i myself came on the scene he was flinging his great ape-like arms about and reciting a poem to her but we were used to lunatics coming and reciting poems in our office and we were not quite prepared for what followed the actual verse he uttered began i think o vivid and violet head ringed but he never got any further mr tripp made a sharp movement towards him and the next moment the giant picked up the poor lady typewriter like a doll sat her on top of the organ ran it with a crash out of the office doors and raced away down the street like a flying wheelbarrow i put the police upon the matter but no trace of the amazing pair could be found i was sorry myself for the lady was not only pleasant but unusually cultivated for her position as i am leaving the service of messrs hanbury and boodle i put these things in a record and leave it with them signed aubrey clark publisher's reader and the last document said pym complacently is from one of those high-souled women who have in this age introduced your english girlhood to hockey the higher mathematics and every form of ideality dear sir she writes i have no objection to telling you the facts about the absurd incident you mentioned though i would ask you to communicate them with some caution for such things however entertaining in the abstract are not always auxiliary to the success of a girl's school the truth is this i wanted someone to deliver a lecture on a philological or historical question a lecture which while containing solid educational matter should be a little more popular and entertaining than usual as it was the last lecture of the term i remembered that a mr smith of cambridge had written somewhere or other an amusing essay about his own somewhat ubiquitous name an essay which showed considerable knowledge of genealogy and topography i wrote to him asking if he would come and give us a bright address upon english surnames and he did it it was very bright almost too bright to put the matter otherwise by the time that he was halfway through it it became apparent to the other mistresses and myself that the man was totally and entirely off his head he began rationally enough by dealing with the two departments of place names and trade names and he said quite rightly i dare say that the loss of all significance in names was an instance of the deadening of civilization but then he went on calmly to maintain that every man who had a place name ought to go live in that place and that every man who had a trade name ought to instantly adopt that trade that people named after colors should always dress in those colors and that people named after trees or plants such as beech or rose ought to surround and decorate themselves with these vegetables in a slight discussion that arose afterwards among the elder girls the difficulties of the proposal were clearly and even eagerly pointed out it was urged for instance by miss younghusband that it was substantially impossible for her to play the part assigned to her miss mann was in a similar dilemma from which no modern views on the sexes could apparently extricate her and some young ladies whose surnames happened to be low coward and craven were quite enthusiastic against the idea but all this happened afterwards what happened at the crucial moment was that the lecturer produced several horseshoes and a large iron hammer from his bag announced his immediate intention of setting up a smithy in the neighborhood and called on everyone to rise in the same cause as for a heroic revolution the other mistresses and i attempted to stop the wretched man but i must confess that by an accident this very intercession produced the worst explosion of his insanity he was waving the hammer and wildly demanding the names of everybody and it so happened that miss brown one of the younger teachers was wearing a brown dress a reddish brown dress that went quite nicely enough with the warmer color of her hair as well she knew she was a nice girl and nice girls do know about those things 
but when our maniac discovered that we really had a miss brown who was brown his id fix blew up like a powder magazine and there in the presence of all the mistresses and the girls he publicly proposed to the lady in the red brown dress you can imagine the effect of such a scene at an all-girls school at least if you fail to imagine it i certainly fail to describe it of course the anarchy died down in a week or two and i can think of it now as a joke there was only one curious detail which i will tell you as you say your inquiry is vital but i should desire you to consider it a little more confidential than the rest miss brown who was an excellent girl in every way did quite suddenly and surreptitiously leave us only a day or two afterwards i should never have thought that her head would be the one to be really turned by so absurd an excitement believe me yours faithfully ada gridley i think said pym with a really convincing simplicity and seriousness that these letters speak for themselves mr moon rose for the last time in a darkness that gave no hint of whether his native gravity was mixed with his native irony throughout this inquiry he said but especially in this closing phase the prosecution has perpetually relied upon one argument i mean the fact that no one knows what has become of all the unhappy women apparently seduced by smith there is no sort of proof they were murdered but that implication is perpetually made when the question is asked as to how they died now i am not interested in how they died or when they died or whether they died but i am interested in another analogous question that of how they were born and when they were born and whether they were born do not misunderstand me i do not dispute the existence of these women or the veracity of those who have witnessed to them i merely remark on the notable fact that only one of these victims the maidenhead girl is described as having any home or parents all the rest are boarders or birds of passage a guest a solitary dressmaker a bachelor girl doing typewriting lady bullington looking from her turrets which she bought from the Whartons with the old soap boiler's money when she jumped at marrying an unsuccessful gentleman from Ulster. Lady Bullington looked out from those turrets, did really see an object which she describes as green. Mr. Tripp of Hanbury and Boodle really did have a typewriter betrothed to Smith. Miss Gridley thought idealistic, is absolutely honest. She did house, feed, and teach a young woman whom Smith succeeded in decoying away. We admit that all these women really lived but we still ask whether they were ever born oh crikey said moses gould stifled with amusement there could hardly interpose pym with a quiet smile be a better instance of the neglect of true scientific process the scientist when once convinced of the fact of vitality and consciousness would infer from these the previous process of generation end of section twenty four